What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an awful All real American. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of the next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me this week, we have Miss Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. William Mavity. Hey, guys. And back on the show with us, we have Josh Williams. What's up, everybody? So it's really nice to bring you back on the show, Josh. You've been uh, turning out some really fantastic articles for us each week here on the show. A couple of film reviews as well. Uh, This week, in anticipation for It Comes at Night, we are going to be talking about fear and paranoia within um, the cinematic language, um, which is something that I think Trey Edward Schultz really seems to be utilizing based upon early word of his new feature. Um, we're not going to really talk about the mummy and that Tom Cruise abomination of a film. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm seeing it, I think, uh, Tuesday. I, I've, I'm not excited. You should get excited. Yeah, I see it Tuesday as well. And you should be excited. Yeah. Tell me why I should be excited. Because it's Tom Cruise. And get the fuck out of here. All, that is not, a, that, that is not and enough. And it's Nick Johnson no. with a full beard. <laughs> That's all I need. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We have some fan questions for everyone to answer. We got three trailers to discuss. We also have some news and we're going to talk briefly, not, not, we're not going to, you know, deep dive, but we're going to talk briefly about some Oscar predictions. Let's start it off here with some fan questions to break the ice a little bit. Uh, what do we got here? This one is from Kenny Miles at the Kenny Miles. What is the best movie you have all seen this year? And what are our top three most anticipated movies of the summer? Ooh. Even though we're kind of like knee deep. I said the summer's now. like half over. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he said this literally like a day or two ago. So maybe he, maybe his time clock's a little off. But Kristen Lopez, best movie of the year. Oh god, best movie of the year so far. Shit, their finest. I, I stand by that. Ooh. Yeah, I love that movie. Josh Williams. Um, for me, it's Get Out. And Will. 
You know, I, I haven't seen as many films this year as y'all. He already stole Get Out, so instead I'll say Logan. Logan's a very close second for me. I, too, am going to say Logan. Um, although, uh, spoiler alert for uh, anyone that hasn't heard our other podcast for Wonder Woman, uh, it's the only movie this year other than Logan I've given a 9 out of 10 to. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's that, it's that damn good. Um, all right, and top three most anticipated summer releases. Uh War for the Planet of the Apes, Dunkirk, and you know what? I'll, I'll also throw it out there. It Comes at Night. Yeah, I, I would say It Comes at Night's there for me as well. Uh, Baby Driver, got to be in the top three. I'm so excited That's for that. number four for me. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. That last spot, there's a lot of things that I'm kind of going between, you know, but I think I'm going to go with Detroit. Detroit sounds so potentially promising. Oh, shit, I forgot that's coming out in August. Yeah, yeah. and if, if that could be our Best Picture winner, which some still predict it to be, then that is yet another reason to be excited for it, so. Yeah. I'm going The Beguiled, Baby Driver, and It Comes at Night. Yeah, I, Kristen, I hate you for having seen The Beguiled. I, I know, I got best. my screener invite for that at the end of the end of June, and I'm just so excited to see it again. Oh, yeah, you're going to really rub it in our faces then, aren't you? Oh, I am, twice I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, no, for me, it's probably Wonder Woman, which I already saw, and The Beguiled, which I already saw, and... I'm, I don't even know what else comes out this summer because I just haven't been paying attention. The Nut Job 2, Nutty by Nature. Nobody's excited about that. <laughs> I guess Baby Driver is like the only thing of actual substance that I'm interested in. You know, the trailer for Baby Driver I just recently saw um, with uh, Tequila um, where it's cut to the music. I can now see what everybody is saying in terms of how the movie can uh, move with the groove of music and how it's going to be like a quasi-musical in a way. Um, it's gotten me just so much more excited. If you guys get a chance, check out that trailer. It's really badass. People are pushing him to do like a full-blown musical next. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. Oh god, you, you think yeah. Disney's going to hire try to hire him for one of their live-action remakes? I'd be down. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. It'd be awesome. I'm going to say now that I think Baby Driver is going to end up being a big sound contender this year. It seems like the type of film that will be acclaimed not too genre-y to get any kind of above-the-line love, but is probably going to end up showing up in whichever of the critics groups do tech awards, both for editing and sound. And I think it'll pull, like, a drive and just get one lone tech nomination to really, you know, to acknowledge the film but not give it anything major. And Edgar Wright's movies... Oh, that would be disappointing. Yeah, but, like, yeah, I think, I think it could be a big sound contender. If it is literally almost a musical, the way they balance the music and stuff. Could y'all see that? Yeah. Yeah. The Big Sick. I really want to see The Big Sick also. I've heard that's pants-shittingly good, so... That's a good phrase. <laughs> He's been using it a lot. Um, all right, from Al Robinson here. Uh, at Al Rob underscore MN. Those are my initials. Um, his question is this. Say you could wipe your memory of all the movies that you've ever seen, and you could start over 100% fresh... What is the first movie you would watch? Mm. Because think about this. When you were younger and you saw a movie for the first time, you probably didn't have the same level of consciousness that you do now. You know what I mean? So it's it's really difficult as a child to process what it is that you're seeing on screen. Um, but we don't remember th uh, like that thought process. Imagine as an adult, you saw a movie literally for the first time ever. 
do I have adult thought processes now? Like I have the mind of a twenty-three-year-old, yes. just no memory. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my first movie I think was Star Wars, and I would probably do that again. I think Star Wars would scare the shit out of me. I'd be on like sensory overload. And I'd be totally overwhelmed. <laughs> Dude, my dad took me to the theaters when I was three years old to see that. Like, it blew my oh, mind, wow. and it would still do it now. For me, I, I have to pick um, something scale back, simple, easy to digest because of, um, like I said, if you're seeing moving moving images on the screen for the first time ever, it's like going to come as a shock to the body. Um, so I think a film where uh, the whole plot takes place in one room um, would be a way to do it. So 12 Angry Men is my, is my pick. Kristen? I don't really know if I get the goal of this question, so my answer might be different, but... I tend to associate movies with events. So with the movie that I always say kind of played up to exactly what I wanted uh, in my life is uh, Anne of the Thousand Days. So because I love that movie so much. So I'd I'd love to see that again, preferably not in a classroom setting with a bunch of like seventh grade assholes who didn't appreciate it like I did. So, yeah, that would be that would be mine. Fun fact about that film, it um it is one of those that is infamous when you talk about old school Oscar campaigns. Uh, it got pretty middling reviews, and it was one of those where I think Fox released it. They literally held all these banquets and essentially paid Academy voters in wine and champagne. They spent like more than it cost to make the movie in an Oscar campaign to get a movie with like a 60 on Rotten Tomatoes, a Best Picture nomination. So just a little bit of Oscar trivia that it is that film is drenched in controversy it, it deserved, because of its Oscar it campaign. Oscars. I'm just throwing that out there. Deserved them. Well, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, deserves Oscars, uh, Al Robinson did have a second question that he was curious about. And uh, also, too, I'm a little curious about as well um, as a chance to get to know you, get to know all you uh, better. Will, you might have a hard time with this question. Uh, can you name any recent examples of any movies that you've given 10 out of 10 to? Oh, that's cruel, Matt. That's cruel. Oh, plenty. See, I'm, I'm very selective. I give maybe one uh, or two maybe a year, oh, but it's very are, rare that two get given. So what Matt is getting at is I have never given a 10 out of 10. You guys I, are insane. I, I, I just I, – I can't do it. I don't know why. There will be 9.5s, but – it's a matter of principle. I think the point of film is that there's so many masterpieces. Like, every masterpiece that I claim is a masterpiece, I don't compare to, like, Citizen Kane or Casablanca. Like, there's not, like, a benchmark for what is a masterpiece. Like, every time I see one, I'm like, oh, this is a new, this is new, and it's amazing, so it's a masterpiece. Well, let's put it this way. Um, when you have an open letter from Martin Scorsese, uh, which got published, I believe it was yesterday, and he is talking about how a, a, a recent masterpiece is There Will Be Blood. Um, are we in any way disputing that There Will Be Blood uh, all these years, almost a decade later, is uh, considered a modern masterpiece? I think There Will Be Blood is a masterpiece, yeah. Absolutely a masterpiece. Incredible film. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it depends on the lens in which you view it through. You know, I have a different lens than some other people. Like, I, you know, the two last tens I've ever given out were for Silence. Um... And for Mad Max Fury Road, um, I, I believe that silence is going to be like 30 years from now, like academia for cinephiles and scholars. And people are going to look at that as like yeah. such a huge moment in Scorsese's filmography. It's going to be revered yeah, yeah. years later. 
Um, and Mad Max Fury Road is like the Die Hard, the new Terminator Two. It, it's like like the greatest action movie of all time. You know what I would say is some of the closest, I guess. The end of the tour in 2015. Oh, I'm so glad you love that movie. So many people don't love that movie. <laughs> that, that's one of my favorites of the last couple of years. And then if we want to step back, The Hunt and Before Midnight, I would say, come very close with me for being 10 out of 10s. Like, th- those are like the three of the most recent ones I would call masterpieces. Now, is it because you can you can see flaws? Yeah. Yeah. And are those flaws valid or are they really personal to you? No, no, it's, um, I, I, I would say you could, you could pick on issues of pacing. Um, the end of the tour has technical flaws. It's script and its performances are astounding. I have a few issues with Ponsult's direction. You know, there, there are, there are things that I can pick on, but the, uh, the overall product is so good. It overwhelms them. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, every film has technical flaws, even if it's very good. Chris, Kristen, what do you have? I mean, most of the stuff, I, I mean, I don't do, ten, I, I'm going off of my box here. Mm-hmm. So anything that I gave like a 5 out of 5, I would assume would be close to a 10 out of 10. Yeah, just multiply it by 2, right? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, 2016, I, I said 13th was a perfect movie. Oh my god, I did give a 10 out of 10 to that. I totally forgot. Oh yes, thirteenth um, is amazing. And and the year before that, I said the hunting ground. Um, so I mean, I, the docs I think are easier to say. Y- you know, you can usually tell whether that's like really good or really bad. Um, other than I'm looking, trying to find like a narrative film that I'm looking at now, where I'm like, oh yeah, that movie still holds up really, really well, perfectly, and I'm I'm going further and further back. <laughs> Well, what was, uh, like, the most recent one, then? The most recent film that I gave a 5 out of 5 to? Mm-hmm. Um, Ex Machina. <laughs> Ex Machina's great. Yeah. What about the... Th- do y'all, does anyone else have problems with the third act in Ex Machina? Fuck no. I You're do. Insane. Um, I I do yeah. not. Yeah, Eight yeah, out no, of ten for me because of that It's a great act. movie. Yeah, this yeah. It's just going to be me and Kristen running the show. You guys can leave. <laughs> I got... Called unfeminist for not having a problem with the third act of that movie, and I said, "Well, I have problems." Don't. But I think we all can agree. uh, I know Matt can that that is a great win for visual effects, right? Hell yeah, it is. (laughs) That is a perfect. mm, That's being silent. Matt hates that win. Mm. That is a perfectly deserved win. Mm. Totally, utterly deserved. It's literally the equivalent of Dallas Buyers Club winning from makeup. Boo. Would you have preferred Oscar winner Bad Grandpa? That is the question I have to face you with. <laughs> no, 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 no. Believe me. Um, oh, no. So we're talking about um, Oscar wins now. I think this is a good segue into talking about actually some of our, some of our preliminary uh, picks at this time, uh, especially especially as we head into the uh, second half of the year. Um, we're, you know, when June ends, we'll be at the midway point of 2017. So I think... It's at that point we should probably get you know get on the train and start talking about these things. I don't want to go into full detail necessarily. Um, I don't want to know like your full five out of five like picks for each category. But for example, William, you uh, were talking to me about some of your Oscar picks, and one of the movies that you have very uh, highly represented is a film that I haven't heard much about, and that's called The Florida Project. 
Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that one? Yeah, uh, so the Florida Project opened out of competition in Cannes um, this past week, I guess. And it is uh, Sean Baker who made Tangerine's new film. It focuses heavily, as I understand it, on the lives of a bunch of people, I think, who live in a motel in Florida. features Willem Dafoe heavily. But it is one of those, if you look at the reviews, that is apparently just very raw, very human. A24 picked it up. It's got a lot of social relevance, social commentary. Um, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe features trans characters heavily. Um, by all accounts, very good. And the fact A24 picks, picked it up and is positioning it maybe for a similar Oscar rollout to Moonlight suggests that it might be one we really need to keep an eye on. I know Awards Watch, I believe, just did a big profile on the film where they think particularly uh, Defoe and, and the film as a whole could be strong contenders. I mean, Tangerine did very well on the indie circuit on a tiny budget and being shot on iPhones two years ago. So, I mean, uh, Baker is already a recognized name. I think this is a film that could be a very representative film and really be a strong player. Um, I know Jason Osiason, um, who's fairly good at Oscar predictions, thinks that it could even be a contender for Best Picture. I think the film might be too small to do that. But I think we do need to keep an eye on it, particularly because there aren't a lot, you know, there, there are always these indie films that we underestimate in the first half of the year that end up being major players. And I think this could be one of those. Sure. Um, another film that you have listed here that I also have not heard much about um, is a film called Lean on Pete. Lean on Pete, yeah. Uh, so the, I, I am interested in that because A24 also acquired that. And after the last couple of years of A24, despite still being relatively small, slaughtering the Oscar competition, we now keep on anything they did. So uh, Lean on Pete is a coming-of-age film, I believe, based on a particularly acclaimed British novel directed and written by Andrew Haig, who you know got some acclaim for 45 years. Um, but part of the thing I'm particularly interested in is Steve Buscemi is in there and, by all accounts, a great supporting role. And I think that is someone we really need to keep an eye on for supporting actor contention because he's a beloved character actor. He's been around for some time. A24 is campaigning him, and we know they can do that well. And I think, like John Goodman, he's one of those people that always gets brought up as someone people are hungry to see get an Oscar nomination or even an Oscar win. Um, mm. has, they all, has a good cast otherwise. Um, Charlie Plummer, Steve Zahn, Thomas Mann. Um, yeah, it, it it sounds small and emotional, but could be campaigned well by A24. Do we all have Gary Oldman and Best Actor winning right now? Yes, no. I do. No. Oh, yes? Okay. And Josh, who do you have winning Best Actor right now? Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, God. There's no way. For a fourth? They're not going to give him a fourth. Bet. They will. <laughs> but, it, it, I mean... I, we don't know much about the plot, but this is not that I don't care. Beatty. It's not Abraham Lincoln. It's not that Beatty of the It part. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis. It's sold. It's, that's like wrapping it with a pretty little bow and then putting it on the Oscars doorstep. Like So like summer. five out of six. Well, Qu- hold on. Chris, Kristen has uh, this film uh, with the Paul Thomas Anderson, Daniel Day-Lewis movie currently winning Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and yet still... Kristen has Gary Oldman winning Best Actor for Darkest Hour. Wow. I only have one other person that I think will win Best Actor besides D. Lewis. 
Who's that? Joaquin Phoenix. No Hugh Jackman for The Greatest Showman? Nope. Hmm. I, I mean, I understand leaving Jackman out for The Greatest Showman if it is a musical. I mean, obviously he pirouetted the musical into getting his first Oscar nomination. But didn't didn't Schwartz say this is like a pretty light, fluffy musical too? I mean, like, I, I could see that taking the Richard Gere route even if the, the musical itself is a successful film may not be guaranteed any kind of acting nominations. One thing that I'm really surprised by is, Will, you and Kristen both have um, Francis McDormand winning for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, that movie looks amazing. I'm not married to that idea. I just can't think of a viable winner, so I kind of stack them in orders. I mean, I have Jessica Chastain winning for Molly's Game. I heard that movie had some issues with the script and the production, so it kind of shot that idea in the foot for me. Really troubled production. I feel like the phrase Aaron Sorkin and problem with the script doesn't go in the same sentence. Well, but he's never directed before. But I'll agree with you. You know? know. It was a joke. (laughs) Because Aaron Sorkin's a great screenwriter. I know. I, yeah, I I am hesitant on that one. As we get closer and hear more, I might reconsider. I'm sure people would love to see Chastain win, but I think they were just doing reshoots for it. And uh, yeah, I agree with Kristen. I I have heard some not so great feedback on it. I was gonna say to piggyback off of Josh, the the term Aaron Sorkin women's starring film gives me pause. Right, Aaron Sorkin has not written. Uh, Kristen, has he written? Any good female characters? Not that I can immediately think of, no. So, yeah. I can say he's given females some good lines. I don't know about full-blown characters. Um, what? Okay, do we think that... Um, anyone else think Jake Gyllenhaal is going to show up for Stronger if that comes out this year? I do. God, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, because I, I have talked to some people who read the script. I want that man to win something. It's apparently a very baity part. I mean... And... Um, what about Andrew Garfield for Breathe? Are people predicting that for a nomination? Nope. I don't think he's going to win anything. Um, you know, to give Kristen a little bit of credit, these films can always go uh, one or two ways. You know, you could have a Fury of Everything scenario, or you could have a Ben Stiller as Simple Jack scenario. Right. Uh, I... Uh, you know, in a real world example, um, let's say Cooper Gooding Jr. in his radio. The let's better say. comparison with actual accuracy is you have theory of everything or you have I am Sam. Mm. That's how it goes. Well, Sean Penn still got a nomination for that. Yes. Yeah, but it's now reviled in hindsight. And the problem is is that this is not I am Sam. There's a very specific reason why I am Sam failed. And there's a very specific reason why theory of everything succeeded in many ways. So do I think the Academy stupid as they can be with disabled films would give this a nomination fuck yes they would okay but do i i refuse to be a part of it so i'm not listing it i don't care whether it actually happens i'm not listing it as happening (laughs) imagine if andrew garfield wins literally every single award under the sun and Kristen just still doesn't even have him in his in her predictions yeah yeah no he could he could be climbing up to the stage to pick up the oscar and i'd be on nope remember Kristen, it's not about what you want to win it's about what will win i don't care in this instance, well, I'm just, I I'm do, not and as editor in chief, I will initiate an executive order on that one. In any event, though, moving on to uh, another piece of um, uh, Oscar talk here. Call me by your name. <laughs> I have it nominated for best picture. That is the sound of Kristen shitting her pants <laughs> because Army Hammer was mentioned. Literally, that 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 title is always going to be accompanied with me giggling like an idiot. What's the deal with this movie? 
fucking awesome. People love it. People love it, man. Could it be a screenplay winner? Yes. Uh, I think I have a nominated for screenplay, yeah. I, I could see a win for sure. I mean, that that's kind of not a stacked category this year. And depending on how, how much they, which from what I've, what friends have acknowledged to tell me, because they refuse to spoil it for me, um, depending on how much they adapt from the novel, there is some beautiful, beautiful lines in that, that novel. So if they translate it, it's a screenplay win. I don't have Michael Stubarg, Army Hammer. Do they both get <laughs> in, or does only one of them get in? They both get in. I would only say one. I'm going both. Michael Stuhlbarg's been killing it for years. I would only say one. I think supporting actor is going to be really... I think Stuhlbarg gets in for sure. Um, yep. But, like, that category is potentially really stacked. A lot of people that are up and coming... I, mean, I mentioned Buscemi and Defoe, you know, for Lean on Pete and the Florida Project. But then also you have... Uh, everybody loves Ben Mendelsohn. He's really hot right now. So, you know, The Darkest Hour has great potential for him. And then Mudbound, you know, Jason Mitchell, who was very acclaimed for um, Straight Outta Compton, um, obviously could get another chance with Mudbound. What, as I recall, he got raves too. I mean, that's that's a tough category this well, year. you forgot to mention uh, somebody who I was uh, actually picking to win the whole thing. I think Woody Harrelson could possibly do it for The Glass Castle. Okay, yeah, and then he'll probably also have some love that will help him get a nomination there from three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. That won't be his nomination, but it'll help give him credibility for... And if War for the Planet of the Apes is a critical darling as well and makes a killing at the box office, he's literally then had uh, the perfect year. Yeah, okay, so that, that that is worth considering as well. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors, like you said, absolutely. Um, supporting Actress... Uh, supporting actress is tough. I will fully, fully admit that. Do we think that Nicole Kidman could land in supporting actress either for The Beguiled or The Killing of a Sacred Deer? Yes. I don't think she'll win. I think a nomination is happening. Would we rather Would we rather see Kidman get a Best Actress nom or a Supporting Actress nom? Because she's going to win no matter what category she's in. <laughs> you think she's going to win? Absolutely. I mean, she's got a great narrative Think this of the year, fucking but... year she's had. Yeah. Yeah, but it's got to be the right She's kind of baby everything. part. Everything, <laughs> but are are any of the parts things that Ampus will go for? That's the question. It's always the question. I think some of them might be. Um. So what does she have? She has beguiled, killing a sacred year. She had. She has big little lies and like China Lake girl at the top of the lake or whatever that hell that movie's called. Uh, it's like a six hour movie. <laughs> it's a, the miniseries. Oh okay. Will and Kristen, you both have Michelle Pfeiffer coming back to the dance with Mother. My fingers are crossed. I think oh, there's a good narrative there. And awesome. we all know supporting actress either goes the ingenue or the woman who's had her due. Yeah. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer's definitely had her due. That's for sure. God, I hope Mother is good. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I don't like her enough to want to right now predict Jennifer Lawrence for Best Actress for Mother, but I can't help but feel like under Darren Aronofsky's direction that that is a possibility. God, I hope Mother is good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would love it to be good. Because I love Aronofsky, but Noah was a travesty. You know what movie um is I'm, I'm very worried about? Uh, downsizing. Yeah, we've we've heard bad things out of test screenings on that one, haven't we? And they, they were re-screening it after they recut it dramatically uh, a couple weeks ago. I really want that to be good. I think it could very easily go badly. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe at the end of the day it'll be uh, a rogue visual effects or production design contender, but 
Yeah, do, do we all hear, like, the apocalyptically bad test screening reports for that? And obviously take those with a grain of salt, but it's not a good start. Um, what is the one movie, the one Oscar movie that hasn't screened, nobody knows anything about it, um, that you are most worried about in terms of, you know, it being a critical darling or not? Like, because you, you just brought up before, Josh, uh, you really hope Mother is good. What is everybody else's like wishful pick of, oh my God, I just really hope that this is just good because if it's not, it could be really bad for that person's career or whatever the case oh, may be. I have a different pick for Mother for this question. Go ahead. It's a Blade Runner. I heard a rumor that that's testing. Mm. Uh, I hope it succeeds immensely. Like Denny Villeneuve's uh, career uh, has been pitch perfect so far. So, yeah, I would be very disappointed. I'm going to be so sad if it's bad. It won't ruin him if he gets one flop, but, you know, he's got a lot of momentum right now. It has potential to make him flop just because of the weight of the movie, I think. Yeah. Because if you, because there's already enough stigma with like, oh, you're doing a Blade Runner sequel. So it's like, oh, you did a Blade Runner sequel and it's bad. Like that's, that could be a lot. Yeah, especially because if that film doesn't get critical support, it's going to get killed at the box office. And you could tell based on the trailer, they're spending a pretty penny on this one. I mean, it looks visually beautiful. Do we all have Roger Deakins winning cinematography? Yeah. I haven't assembled my tech predictions, but yet. But in your mind though, do you like, is it like top of mind? Yeah. Like, I, I think I really do think the only re- well not the only reason the main reason Kevin O'Connell won last year is because even though people tend not to recognize the overdue guys in the tech categories I think he campaigned enough and was covered enough that he was overdue I think that's why he won they they didn't have any precursors going in and I no. think yeah Deacons will get even more talk because people tend to recognize cinematographers more than they do sound guys yeah I think the thing I mean Deacons too is he doesn't care about winning an Oscar. So they, they're fine with, like, passing over him. Yeah, but I, I think even if he doesn't make that narrative for himself, like, every press outlet's going to. And honestly, yeah. couldn't you see, basically, critics trying to create a narrative? Or, like, you know, basically, if enough critics groups get together and all award him the win, it almost becomes unstoppable. No, absolutely. I agree. But I know just, like, with the Academy, it becomes a little easier if they're if they're torn between two. They can just be like, mm. well, Deacons doesn't really care, so let's give it to this person. And also, he's, he fits the tend, trend of, like, this could win visual effects, too. And yeah. with the exception of the last, like, two years, that's been the thing of this decade. Would we say his biggest competition is Edward Lockman uh, for Wonderstruck and uh, Hoyt Van Hortema for Dunkirk? I would say Wonderstruck, yes. I would say Dunkirk, maybe. I don't know about Dunkirk. Uh, Dunkirk looks very appealing. I'm not sure it looks flashy enough that I think it would be, unless the film is just raved and a major Best Picture contender, I'm not sure it looks, you know, striking enough that it would be one of those, like, easy sweeping winners that could definitely defeat something like this. Yeah. Like, yeah. I always say all the time, Christopher Nolan's like biggest asset and his biggest detriment is the fact that he prefers to do everything with practical effects and in camera, because I feel that um, that limits his abilities as a director, um, because obviously there's a lot of things that you can use visual effects for to help enhance your story. Um, And I just feel that on a technical level, everything that he's doing is like amazing and people really respect it. And it's like, holy crap, like you actually did this practically like that's amazing. But the scale of it 
Um, like I look at that airplane sequence, like in the Dark Knight Rises, for example, that opening with Bane, and it's like, holy crap! Like he pulled that off, but yet it's something that your your mind just says, oh, that's not as big and as epic as it could have been, because he's not using visual effects. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I don't know what's what's lame is that Christopher Nolan has been killing it for absolutely years, but nobody seems to care. That's my problem. Well, the the internet cares. Well, yeah, like, like obviously Nolan, like, has, like, the critics on his side, but, like, Nolan, like, rarely wins awards, which blows me away. Well, I mean, he, let's look at it this way. His last two films, Interstellar and The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar was, like, a fringe contender. It popped up here and there throughout the season, mostly in text, though. If anything, a screenplay uh, mentioned from a critics group for, for Nolan, but mm-hmm. it never was going to be a huge Oscar contender. That movie was no, just no, way no. too brainy and heady for people. No, yeah, yeah. His last two films were considered disappointments. I mean, that, we, we have to acknowledge that. They, uh, they were both very hyped up and highly anticipated, and they both were considered letdowns. And I think at the end of the day, the expectations were so high. You know, that is why. The only, I think Interstellar's his best movie. Oh. Wow. Easy. Flat out. Flat out. Mm. Wow. I mean, listen, there's aspects of that movie that you could say are the best in any uh, Christopher Nolan movie like Hans Zimmer's score you could make an argument oh, that that's God. the best score so in good. all of Christopher Nolan's movies you can make an argument that Hoyt Van Hoytema's uh, cinematography is the best you can make an I argument mean, for the I visual like effects I like Anne Hathaway like the whole thing is just fantastic oh but the third act you like the third and, and the Fuck dialogue yeah. Fuck the yeah. dialogue absolutely yeah I hate that whole love conquers all bullshit I'm not about I, it nope the dialogue is rough there, and then all it worked just... in it worked in Wonder Woman. It didn't work in Interstellar for me. <laughs> I'm so down. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, next bit here. Uh, we got three trailers we need to talk about, so let's talk about those right now. Uh, first one up here, we have an adaptation of a Agatha Christie novel. Perhaps you have heard of it. It is directed by Kenneth Branagh, and it stars an all-star cast. It is called Murder on the Orient Express. You know, there is something about that tangle of strangers pressed together for days with nothing in common but the need to go from one place to another and never see each other again. I see evil on this train. A passenger has died. So they got him after all. You assume he was killed? No, 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 not. Well, he was in perfectly good health. He, he had his enemies. Indeed, he was murdered. God, murder here. God rest his soul. Someone was rummaging around my cabin in the middle of the night. No one would listen to me. If there was a murder. What is going on? Then there was a murderer. The murderer is with us. And every one of you is a suspect. And who are you? My name is Hercule Poirot, and I'm probably the greatest detective in the world. I'll be the first to say I'm excited. Really? Yep. Really? Very. I think the Imagine Dragons song ruins the trailer, but other than that, it looks fine. I think visually it looks interesting. Um, I think it's going to do exactly what it has set out to do. Does anyone else like feel like the color palette and the overall look of the film screams uh, Hugo 
to them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that, that shot where it's like going through the car and like everybody's name is popping up. I was like, oh, this reminds me of Hugo. I really hope that that's not an aspect of the movie, and I oh, hope I'm that's sure just that's for the trailer. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that seemed like something I just shot for the trailer. But I mean, I mean, it could work if that's how Hercule Poirot's mind works. You know, kind of a Sherlock Holmesy, absorbing information from his POV. Mm. I don't know. I don't know about this one. I, I I was I was very excited, but then when I saw it, it's got like this very glossy, like clean look to it. Um, I think it looks way too stylized uh, for the Academy to go for it. Honestly. Oh, I don't think I. Th- I think the only place it's going to show up in a major way is SAG potentially because it's just such a big ca- like regard. I mean, as long as the film is decent, I think SAG could go for it because like half of Hollywood is in it. Uh, I kind of like Grand Budapest Hotel. Has everyone seen the Sydney Lumet film, by the way? Yeah, I was yes. actually. Yeah, it's that. it's phenomenal. I have not. Oh, Kristen. Oh, it's really good, Kristen. You should definitely check it out. I, I think you would really enjoy I'd, it. I'd rather watch that than this. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could see one of the supporting actresses getting a nomination too, depending on how strong the category is this year. You know, Lauren Bacall won for her role last time around. Mm-hmm. Um. Don't know who it would be, but there's a lot of beloved names in that film. Yeah. So, I'm not saying it's going to be amazing. I just think it'll be entertaining. Like I'll tell you right now, Kenneth Branagh's uh, mustache is entertaining. That's for sure. I'm excited oh, yeah, for Leslie Odom Jr. because I love Hamilton. I agree. And and the fact that that it looks like Johnny Depp's going to die in the first ten minutes. So hopefully that bodes well. He's got that like black mass uh, look going oh on in terms of his uh, his stare and his eyes. Like, uh, like you could tell I'm a raging psychopath, and clearly I'm the one that did it. Really, like, I, I was gonna call that the dead blank face that Johnny Depp's been rocking for the last like five movies. Did everybody uh, not like Black Mass? I hated that movie. I, I did not like the movie, but I thought Depp was admirable. Like, I, I could, I could clearly see like his. I was reminded of his talent when he wants to be talented. If that yeah. makes sense. No, I get you. Okay. It felt like it's just a wasted opportunity, that film. I think Joel Egerton gave the overall best performance, though, in that movie. And he's very underrated. Joel Egerton is very underrated. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll find out this weekend if it comes at night. Um, <sighs> let's also move over to now to a second trailer. we got three to cover, remember, here. The second trailer is starring Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, and, unlike we've ever seen him before, Daniel Craig in Steven Soderbergh's new film, Logan Lucky. Jimmy, I'm just going to say it. i got to let you go. You were just fired. I was let go for liability reasons involving insurance. The one-armed bartender. (laughs) You need to show a little respect. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The only guy who knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. Incarcerated. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. The Coca-Cola 600 is the biggest race of the year. We need a computer whiz. I know everything there is to know about computers, okay? All the Twitters, I know them. Welcome to the Coca-Cola 600. Now, how many yards away is the vault? 20 yards. I don't know, maybe 30. Is it 20 or is it 30? We are dealing with science here. 
They're going to know what we want them to know. My life of crime is over. That is massively stupid. It's been handled. All this is going to be good. That looks like it hurt. I want everything on Jimmy Logan. I'm about to get naked. So no bacon. I said no bacon. You Logans must be as simple-minded as people say. People say that. <laughs> Would you give me my arm, please? <laughs> is it this one? <laughs> Soderbergh. Oh man. Oh my God. Daniel Craig could be a surprise contender. Does anyone else think that he could potentially go all the way to a supporting actor nomination with us? Absolutely not, but he looks hilarious. I agree with Will. I would be shocked if it happened. I mean, we've seen comedic performances get him before. Uh, Right, but they tended to have big narratives backing them. Like Robert Downey Jr., that was his comeback year, and he had also, I mean, he just had Iron Man 2, and he was playing an actor in the industry. Hollywood couldn't resist that much meta. Um, And then Melissa McCarthy, you know, that was kind of a breakout year, too. She won an Emmy for Gilmore Girls, I think. Well, what about the Bond fact? What about the Bond factor, you know? The fact that everybody knows who this man is and the fact that, you know, he's doing something that's unlike Bond in every way possible shows yeah. range. And if he's respected amongst his peers, um, it could be like a Sean Connery, uh, you know, Untouchables like win. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Where the performance just has to be good enough. Let's not discredit Downey's performance in Chaplin real quick. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Chaplin but is a wonderful movie. Chaplin is good. It's, I have issues with it, but I, I enjoy that movie a lot. Thank you, thank you. What about what? What are your thoughts overall f- with the uh, with this movie here, uh, Christopher Logan Lucky? Y'all were talking about this trailer like it was the second coming of Christ, and oh, <laughs> I watched it, it and Soderberg I was Soderbergh is back. I was like, it, it looks okay, you know. I uh, the whole hillbilly heist. I think it thing, could be like a fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah I, I mean, it, it looks they're they have funny accents. Adam Driver has one arm. Has one arm. <laughs> it, it looks like it looks like Soderberger went all Coen Brothers on us. It really looks. I can't wait. Very Coen Brothers. That's a wait. good call out there. Um, Steven Soderbergh went Coen Brothers on us. Um, I can't wait. I'm just happy that Steven Soderbergh is making feature films. That's what. I, yeah, Soderbergh is back. I was so sad when he said he retired. He's he's back again. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a world with Steven Soderbergh making movies, um, even if his movies are bad, they're still always interesting. He's one of the most interesting directors that we have working today because he can just effortlessly like just weave in and out of different genres, different styles, different color palettes for his movies. I mean, like the guy does so much. Uh, and he also sometimes acts as editor, cinematographer. I mean... The guy is just insane. I, I <laughs> love know? how this this trailer advertises Steven Soderbergh as the maker of all the Oceans movies, and I was sitting and there and thinking, magic, and, magic and I was smile. sitting there thinking, okay, only one of those Oceans movies is good. Yeah, I was yeah, so upset. Yeah, the well, look at it this way: those are caper films. This is clearly like a caper heist film, and Magic Mike has Channing Tatum, and oh look, there's Channing Tatum in the trailer. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, we don't care about Traffic, Aaron Brokovich, Sex Lives, Videotape, yeah. Che. 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 Oh, my God, Che. 
Ooh. Are we about to bash Jay? Because I'm going to get off this podcast. I don't. I've never seen it. It's really. Good. I think it's. I think it's like really, really fucking good. It's really, really <laughs> it's really fucking good. I've been told to watch it for reasons, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Benicio, Benicio is like on the level of like Denzel as Malcolm X in terms of like biopics. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's a good call out there. Speaking of uh, biopics, I think th- this this next trailer is a biopic. Has someone confirmed that for me? I forgot. What's our next trailer? Mm, Victorian Abdul. Oh, yeah. It, it, it is a true story. The trailer says based on a true story. So, Okay. Let's withhold judgment. Let's take a look at the trailer first. It is starring uh, Dame Judi Dench and Michael Schwartz. I'm sure will be happy to know that we talked about this trailer. Or will he? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I'm 81 years of age and have almost a billion citizens. I've been in office 62 years, making me the longest serving monarch in history. <clears throat> have we finished? Abdul, you will travel to England. To the royal household. You will present the queen with a ceremonial coin. Whatever you do, you must not look at Her Majesty. There's a famine in India. Prime Minister, you really are terribly depressing. Yes. Jenny, Her Majesty. I suddenly feel a great deal better. She has requested Mr. Kareem be her personal footman. How do you like your Scottish costumes? They're very scratchy. Everything in Scotland is scratchy. What can we be talking about? What is a mango? The queen of fruit. I would like a mango. They only grow in India. Well, I'm empress of India, so I have one cent. No one really knows what it's like to be queen. Mother! Are you spying on me? Everyone I've loved has died, and I just go on and on. What is the point? Zeus, Your Majesty. We are here for a greater purpose. You are a servant no longer. You will teach me Urdu and the Quran. Upset the order of everything. Drop this Indian peasant, or we will have you certified insane. Treason! Treason. I am cantankerous, greedy, fat. I am perhaps disagreeably attached to power, but I am anything but insane. I am Queen of England. Empress of India. Abdul has risen on his own merits. Now, he is my friend. I haven't been as happy as this for years. A little surprise. What is it? A mango, Your Majesty. It's off. Sir Henry, this mango is off. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm sorry, Michael Schwartz. I'm not about. I don't see what the big hoopla is about this. I, and I'm hearing a lot of people all over the internet talk about Judy Dench potentially winning a second Oscar for this movie. I, I just don't see it. I do not see it based upon this trailer whatsoever. I think she could get a nomination depending how strong the field is, but she's by no means a lock. I don't think anything else about the film, other than maybe its costume, stands a chance. Um, this is the most like 1996 Oscar contender I've seen in some time. You know, it, it would have done really well with an Academy of 20 years ago as far as its voting body makeup. I think now it's the kind of thing we have parodies about. 
and has the potential to be offensive too. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's definitely got potential to be offensive. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's my favorite, favorite Christian (laughs) sound clip I've heard in a while. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The Kool-Aid man just burst in here. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, come on. We've... Colonialism, people. We want to assume it's a white savior film. <laughs> it's the the movie about crotchety old Queen Victoria and how she learns that the poor people of India are being like horrifically treated. Probably not, but I'm assuming that maybe that happened. There was a conversation where this guy was like, "Oh, hey, by the way, you know, people in India like they're living in shitty conditions." And she's like, "Oh, that sounds really bad. I wish I could do something." So this is going to be just one of those like feel good, oh, yeah, going to yeah. appeal yep. to the older yep. audience yep. Uh, type movies. Yep, yep, uh, yep, yep, welcome yep. to a Stephen Frears film, people. Yeah, but, but Stephen Frears, you know, films sometimes like with Philomena, he he had something to say that you know there there was still a lot of social commentary in there. You know, this is Stephen Frears at his most safe. I mean. I know that we were divided. Josh, I don't really know your thoughts on this. What did you think of Florence Foster Jenkins last year? Oh, I didn't even watch it. <laughs> oh. Chris, Kristen's very yeah. happy. I don't do... Uh, I don't do... I, sorry, M- Michael. I wish I could be like you, Josh, and just not know that that movie is a, is a thing. Sorry, Michael. I'm not on the Meryl Streep train. So the second I saw the trailer, I was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Skipped right over it. <laughs> I'm assuming that Stephen Frizz's house right now looks like the tea party scene in Toy Story, where they're just wearing little hats. I, I, what I'm saying is that I really hate that Stephen Frizz has like embraced this whole feel good old lady storytelling that makes like you know your 70 year old grandma happy. Um, I miss Stephen Frizz when he made like The Grifters. Like hard boiled type stuff. Yeah, high fidelity is a great. High fidelity is really great good. movie. High fidelity is fantastic. It hasn't aged well for me, but I still really enjoy it. I I'm not feeling like okay. The Queen is is okay. I think that movie. I was gonna fine. say the Queen. We can all agree upon is a good movie, right? Yeah. I mean, I have very few memories of it because I just wasn't that into it. But I think that's Michael calling us to tell us we're wrong. Um, <laughs> Abort mission! Abort mission! <laughs> um, but, but You're yeah. Meryl, how dare you? I, I don't like the uh, the old lady films that he's making. I'm just, I'm not feeling it. I'm not ready to feel old yet, I guess is what it comes down to. Exactly. Thank you. He's trying to make me feel older than I am. It's funny, we all forgot he tried to branch out and do that Lance Armstrong movie like two years ago. Yeah, that movie literally came and went. Um, ben Foster tried, God bless him, but that movie was terrible. Well, and I was going to say, I was going to say Tamara Drew, if anybody remembers that movie with Gemma Archerton that he did, um, I think in between old lady movies, that movie was awful, too. Yeah. In between old lady movies. In between old lady movies, But it it goes to what you're saying. Like, this is safe territory for him, and that's why he's sticking with it. Um, Clearly, there's a formula with films like The Queen, Philomena, and um, Florence Foster Jenkins here. You know what I mean? So it's like stick to what you know and what's working. I, I'm going to say R.I.P. Grifter to Stephen first because I think it's dead and gone. <laughs> eh, you never know. You never, ever really truly know. Um, that will just about do it here for our trailers for this week. Will Mavity, our last bit of the week before we get into uh, fil- uh, you know, our theme of the week here. Uh, why don't you just quickly speed through any of the news segments and fire away. 
All right, so uh, Ron Howard will be helming a documentary about Luciano Pavarotti, the famed opera singer. Um, Adam Wingard, the horror, particularly acclaimed and internet-beloved horror director of, I think, Your Next fame, is going to be doing the next Godzilla film. Let's I also believe. remember he also did The Guest. Yeah, The Guest is yeah, great. With, uh, Dan the Stevens. Guest is one of my favorite movies, and then I saw Blair Witch, and I started to think maybe The Guest wasn't that good because the Blair Witch project was so bad. The one that he made. I like. Yeah. I like Blair Witch. Oh, I like God. Blair Witch. No. No, Josh, you and I aren't friends. Oh, I'm sorry. But, but Will, what's he doing again? Uh, the next Godzilla film, I believe. Yeah, Godzilla versus King Kong. Or it's it's the King Kong versus ah. Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. he's. He's the, the latest kind of indie filmmaker to get dragged into the big budget scene, I'm assuming so. he's going to be a $150 million gamble. If anybody read that <laughs> shitty... Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Steve Zalian of, you know, Schindler's List screenwriting fame. All the King's uh, Men. Uh, ooh, well, well that, there are things we be- are best forgotten. Um, he is rewriting the Coen Brothers' Dark Web script... So, um, that, and that also has been written by Dennis Lehane. Wait, why does a Coen Brothers script need to be rewritten? I, I was curious about that as well. I have no idea, but it is happening. Because the so, Coens don't have a lot of great movies. What? Wait, wait. Josh, what did you just say? I, I only like a few. I'm not a big Coens fan. I only like a few of their movies. Wait, uh, which, can we which fire ones? Josh, which, wait, wait, wait. I want to hear this. Which ones? <laughs> <laughs> I like No Country for Old Men, obviously, and then I like Blood Simple, Fargo. And None of those are Inside Lewin Davis. Get them off. And uh, Barton Fink. I actually haven't seen Inside Lewin Davis. Oh, oh my God! No, go, go and watch it now, or else I'm just I can't I can't I can't. It, it stars Kristen's uh, husband, so you need. It's mandatory <sighs> viewing no, for the no, podcast. I've heard, I've heard it's a tour de force. It's fucking. Awesome. I uh I. I th- I think this means that uh, Josh has to get killed on it. Is that correct? We're not going to reenact Christine. Moving on. Moving yeah, on. I was going to say, is this Christine? Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, other news. Uh, Patrick Ness, you know, the novelist, after uh, having adapted his own book to the screen in the case of Chaos Walking and Monster Calls, is moving into other screenwriting. He will be writing a George Saunders adaptation called Home. Um which is about a returning military shell-shocked POW and issues he deals with his family. Sounds generic on paper, could potentially be good. Tobey Maguire's, uh, or specifically, I guess just Tobey Maguire has acquired the film. I suspect will want to star in it. Um, I was just talking to someone. Tobey Maguire has kind of disappeared in the last couple years. Tobey Maguire is awesome. Although he bought a $3.5 dollar house this week, so he's obviously not doing too badly. Well, he was in Spider-Man. I'm sure he's got money out the ass. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I'm guessing he wanted this to be a starring role for himself. He's played Shell-Shocked Veteran before and got decent acclaim for the role. Um, so, let's see. We also have David France of How to Survive a Plague... F- uh, yeah, How to Survive a Plague fame. Uh, Netflix is going to be requiring... Uh, Release Netflix is going to be releasing his next documentary, which is called The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, which is about the murder of, to quote Deadline, a trans legend known as the Rosa Parks of the LGBT movement. Um, now, How to Survive a Plague was particularly acclaimed, and this is obviously a timely-themed film. 
and Netflix docs have done pretty well with the Oscars, so it's certainly worth keeping an eye on. Does anyone know more about this film or the story behind it? Yeah, it, uh, from what I've heard, it's uh, it's really good. Um, people said if you hated the uh, whitewashing that Stonewall did when that movie came out, just watch this documentary because it gives you a better overview. Um, okay, so there is that, and I mentioned that A24 acquired the Florida Project, and then last but not least, we should mention, you know, we didn't really discuss the winners from Cannes last week on the show, because we recorded before they were announced, but Joaquin Phoenix won for You Were Never Really Here, so I think we have to officially consider him a contender. Yeah, yep. Do we uh, do we have any other particular thoughts on the Cannes Sophia? winners? Sophia! Um, I think cons- the best director win for yeah. Sophia for The Beguiled really helps the film uh, yes. overall yes. in terms of um, its marketing, um, and also to, uh, I, I, I'll be honest, I really am not considering her as a director Oscar nominee, like potentially, but I have heard it, this now has me somewhat curious. Can we just say second female director ever in Cannes history in like, what is it? 60 years. Yeah. yeah. Six. And yet. And yet we're that still, is, that they're still wild. better than the Oscars in terms of gender for best director wins for females. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh. Ooh. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I mean, the uh, screenplay wins were also very, uh, were also very inspiring as well. You know, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer and uh, You Were Never Really Here tied um, for screenplay, which I People thought was People were a awesome. little upset over the square winning the Palm Dior, I think. Yes. That is definitely the uh, word that I've been hearing. Um, I mean. I don't know. I don't even really know what the square know. is. Uh, I mean, what 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 else would it have gone to? You know what I mean? Loveless? Uh, I mean, it could have gone to 120 beats per minute. That was the fan favorite, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. At least that was uh, that was definitely the word I heard as well in regards to it. But either way, I mean, can wins can help. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you ask like the modern audience, n- not many people understand and know what can is, yeah. <clears throat> which is uh, very disappointing <laughs> as well. Um, who won Best Actress? Uh, Diane Kruger, I believe. Hmm. I had not heard of her movie that she was in at all. I wonder if that's more of like a career win or something like that. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty, or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. Alright, cool. Alright, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. All right, well, we're going to move on to our final segment here. Um, in anticipation for It Comes at Night, I want to talk about fear and paranoia uh, within film. Uh, any movies that come to mind that exhibit these two traits here. Um, personally, I feel that fear and paranoia is more effective in the cinematic language than outright horror is. Can Does anybody agree or disagree with that statement? Could you explain the difference? Yes. Well, for me, horror uh, usually involves the first things I think of this. I think of jump scares and I think of um, dark, uh, intricately detailed, uh, very disturbing like sets uh, with Dutch camera angles and Mm -hmm. blood dripping from fucking walls or something. You know, it's like 
over the top like i'm thinking of like the conjuring is like the de facto like horror film in in 2017 you know what i'm saying um i guess fear and paranoia can be so much more well i feel like they both play a factor into the horror genre because think about like the exorcist like is fear and paranoia but that's a horror film well, that's also because The Exorcist is based very, um, very much so in realism. Mm-hmm. You know, is my daughter truly possessed by this demon? Is she really just like a schizophrenic? Like, like this mother and the fear that she has over her daughter's life, basically. Like, that's the that's the meat and the crux of the yeah. story here is how this mother is handling the situation that has befallen upon her daughter. I have to disagree with that one because I think The Exorcist, by the middle of that movie, proves that. No, there's there's fucking demon possession. <laughs> I don't think there's no, any no, ambiguity I, 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 in that And I movie. get it. I'm just saying initially, like leading up to that middle section, mm-hmm. um, the film very much, you know, plays around with, we, you know, you, we don't really know what the hell is really going on here. Well, then I guess a better you know like saying? recent examples like The Witch. Like The Witch is like textbook definition of like fear and paranoia because you never see The Witch until the very end. So, but that's a horror film. Hmm. Um, I would actually argue, I would argue, get out. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, get out is a, I would still classify get out as a horror film. Like it's a thriller horror. But it's also, it, it's almost like a comedy of manners in a lot of ways too, in terms yeah. of his paranoia of, is he just being paranoid that there, it, it plays so well with the racial dynamics of good taste and like how, yeah you know people are supposed to act but yeah i i can see it what about what about this what about what about uh rosemary's baby let's throw a classic yeah, that's, that's one i was okay. actually gonna throw out yeah that's good that's not because that's not like a traditional kind of horror movie exactly so we're we're avoiding the obvious here though which is to say there is like an entire subgenre yes. of paranoia yes. films and you know, the, I, like the conversation, I would say thriller films. Well, no, but like specifically ones about surveillance. Am I crazy? Is yeah, somebody listening to everything I say? Three days of the condor. Uh, a parallax, parallax view. view. Yeah. Conversation takes the gold. Oh wait a minute! I just thought of it. The I, I remember seeing this back in film school, and I remember thinking it was freaking awesome because it was not what I was expecting at all. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, that's that's textbook paranoia. It plays. Pretty much. Uh, oh, Mulholland Drive, maybe. Uh, maybe. Mm, you know, you know what? Yeah, because that's not a horror film. I can't say that's a drama. Um, it's got elements that are disturbing in it, and definitely touch upon like your 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 deepest like fears to a certain degree at times. I could make an argument for that. I would say also uh, Shutter Island. Yeah, yeah, that's not a uh, outright horror film. That's Martin Scorsese playing around with suspense and the paranoia. Definitely, yeah. Brian Brian De Palma's Blowout, which coincidentally has some of the best sound design yeah. of any film in history. Blowout and Conversation are fantastic. Well, let, let's ask this question. Let's ask this question uh, in regards to these uh, types of films here. Do you? Because obviously, there there it's a subgenre, right? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that these films would you rather prefer these over the outright horror films? Which genre? Like which genre do you prefer? I do. I think both of them work in tandem. Uh, I think. Yeah. You can't have one without the other. Oh, you know the thing. See, the I would, thing. I would, I would, I would rather watch a movie that deals with questions of, for example, am I crazy or am I not, than 
watching a killer clown dismember children and whatever the fuck. You know what I'm saying? Are you trying to diss uh, the new It movie that's coming out? Because if so, I'm going to quit. It, it was it was just the first thing that came to mind. I obviously haven't seen It, uh, the new oh, okay. one. So, Well, the miniseries isn't there's, that great. There's one movie, and actually, like, the wheels are turning for, for an actual, like, proper written piece about this, about paranoia movies playing to gender, because I would say mm. that my favorite paranoia movie is Gaslight. Wow. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's a throwback. Yeah, yes, movies movies did exist before 1956. Um, oh, yeah, Kristen, no, yeah. uh, what about uh, your beloved uh, The Neon Demon? Oh, no, I don't see Neon Demon as being about paranoia. Has anybody seen M? Yes, that's a great oh, one. Oh, yes. yeah, That's a great okay. one. M is good. Yeah, but... Fritz Lang, going before oh 1950, yes. here we go. And Let's foreign, and foreign, too, to boot. Yeah, I love M. What was that Hitchcock one where she can't decide if her husband's trying to kill Suspicion. her or not? To, Suspicion, uh, Suspicion's a good yeah, one, too. Yeah, that's another one. Pretty much any Hitchcock, any Hitchcock. yeah, is about paranoia. How to catch a thief, vertigo, rope. Well, yeah, because Hitchcock was not really a jump scare director whatsoever. So, uh, you know what? It's actually, <laughs> Hitchcock is literally the master of suspense, obviously. Uh, how, how about The Thing? Like, I think that that is a prime example of meshing horror and yeah, paranoia. Yeah, but that's dealing with body horror. No, no, no. Out, it depends. Like... If you're going the 82 version, then yes. If you're going the 50s version, then no. It's, it's a paranoia film. Any movie... In the uh, horror, Will's definitely talking the '80s version for sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say any movie from the '50s is automatically a paranoia film because that's all '50s. Right? Yeah, the Red Scare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do we feel at all that the Trump administration is going to inspire a whole new wave of these types of films? Hell yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I I think we we saw yeah in two. In 2007, we had probably the strongest year for film of the century because people were dissatisfied with the political administration. Films were angry. Films were thinly veiled political allegories. Um, created some really strong art. I think this. I think this will happen again, particularly because yes, um, JFK and Watergate, uh, you know, JFK assassination and then Watergate essentially created that paranoid thriller genre all of a sudden people didn't trust the government so i think yeah anytime you have something that rattles people's faith in what the government's telling them that does resurface and i think we saw paranoia films in the early 2000s pop up again because people were concerned about bush so yes absolutely i think that this will bring out that type of film and in general will hopefully bring about some angry you know really strong art what I kind of hope comes from the Trump administration, we're talking about paranoia here, is more so the opposite. Like, there's a lot of, like, coming-of-age movies and, like, very lighthearted movies this year. I kind of hope more of those show up. So, like, we're just trying to, like, make people happy. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, final thoughts? Anyone? Uh, it Comes at Night is going to be great. 10 out of 10. I'm so hyped. Kristen? Yes. <laughs> All right, enough said. All right, I'm just, um, I'm just recommending that Josh go watch Inside Lou and Davis right now. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Josh, yeah. what the hell? Go well, watch Inside. Get on Inside that. Team. Get on Sorry, that man. now. I demand that you let us know by next week what you thought of that movie. And if Am it's, I fired if I don't watch yeah, it by next week? Yeah, if you're you're fired if okay. you don't watch it by next week, you're fired if you don't have the right response to that movie. <laughs> uh, no, we're, we we welcome all re- response types on here. Believe yeah. me. Believe me. I have a final thought. Um, I speaking of, inside Lewin Davis made me think of this. Uh, we asked if anything could unseat Blade Runner, and I think the film that could for cinematography and the film that could do that is The Darkest Hour, because. Um, Let's say The Darkest Hour is particularly acclaimed and becomes a major above-the-line Oscar contender, 
and let's say that Blade Runner does not and stays only in Tex. Then you have the fact that Bruno Delbonel is shooting Darkest Hour, you know, who has been nominated multiple times in the past. He is very, very good. And you combine him with Joe Wright, who almost always gets his film's cinematography nominations when they're not pan, um, because he loves big, long tracking shots. I mean, even Pride and Prejudice, like, that is such a visually dynamic film. And you like things like Atonement and Anna Karenina are, Anna Karenina are off the charts with visuals. So I think that Bruno Delbonel, going back to Inside Lewin Davis, this year could be the biggest threat to Roger Deakins. That's a good point. All right. Uh, Will, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. How about you, Josh? You can find me on Twitter at Josh underscore Williams09. And you, Kristen? I'm on Twitter at Journeys underscore Billy. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 41 of the Next Best Picture podcast, where you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Player FM. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.